Good morning. Now we're reading from John's Gospel, uh, chapter 13. Now if you've got a pew Bible, it's page 1045. 1045 in the pew Bible. That's John's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning of verse 1. <clears throat> it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured, base, poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you should never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Then Lord Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. The whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had fishing washing the, their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the reading from God's Word. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin. 
and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, Not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Just got a little stage prop to get set up <laughs> with Raymond's help. Alrighty, I think we're good to go. <laughs> so in the in the calendar of actually, and I'll just say a kia tato to everybody who maybe doesn't know me. I'm Ken, the Ken Kite, the pastor of the church here. For any visitors that are out there, just in case you're wondering who this next person is that's gotten up. <laughs> so in the calendar of of Jewish festivals that we celebrate. Sorry, in the calendar of New Zealand festivals that we celebrate, we celebrated Mother's Day, didn't we, just uh, last Sunday? In a couple of weekends' time, we're going to celebrate what's now become King's Birthday. I keep saying Queen's Birthday, but it's now King's Birthday. And so these are parts of the, the calendar of, of New Zealand festivals that we celebrate and recognise, and we kind of keep track of the year through those different festivals. John began today's Bible reading in John 13 by noting the time of the Jewish calendar of festivals as being just before the Passover meal, which was a very significant uh, festival for the Jewish people, still is, which means Jesus' crucifixion was, was not far away. Now I realise that by looking um, 
at John 13 today, we're a little bit out of step with our own kind of seasonal cycle because we've already celebrated Easter. We celebrated that six weeks ago. But, but we're looking at this, this latter part of John's Gospel as we continue on through that, hoping that we'll, we'll get to the end of John's Gospel at, at some point. By noting the Passover timing, John was making sure us readers of his Gospel today don't miss the significance of this. And that's kind of particularly important for us where we don't tend to follow that Jewish calendar quite as closely as they would have back then. That by, by stating this was just before the Passover, John was signalling to us readers that Jesus' crucifixion was not too far away. Which means that what Jesus was about to do next is meant to be understood in view of the cross. I mean, we have this great cross here um, that we see every Sunday, and, and I guess you could say that all we do is done in view of the cross. But what he, what he was going to do in, in the next events that we're looking at <clears throat> was to be understood in light of what he was about to do on the cross, which was not too far away. So John headlines what Jesus was about to do next with these words. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And what Jesus was about to do next was teach his disciples an object lesson in cross-shaped love. According to Bible scholar Michael Gorman, who's one of my favorite Bible scholars because I studied him a lot for when I did some study at Kerry Baptist College. According to Michael Gorman, cross-shaped love, or cruciformity as he calls it, can be represented as a kind of a formula. And I know some people who are perhaps more analytically inclined like formulas. Others who are perhaps more creative and less analytically inclined don't like formulas so much. But I think this formula is quite a helpful one for us to understand what cross-shaped love is all about. And here it is. Love equals X not for Y but for Z. Where X represents my worldly status... Y represents my personal gain, and Z represents serving others. Or putting the cross-shaped formula into words, it goes like this. I, sh I show cross-shaped love for others when I choose not to use my worldly status X for personal gain Y, but for serving others Z instead. Which may not make much sense to you now at the, at the moment, because I haven't explained it much to you yet. But I hope by the end of what we're looking at this morning, it will make a whole lot more sense to you. So let's start taking a closer look at this love formula in light of John 13. I remember getting my very own object lesson in cross-shaped love, or the cross-shaped love formula, last year when I had to pay a visit to Auckland Central Hospital to their accident and emergency department after injuring myself falling off my bike which I think most of you kind of know about because it was around about the time as I was accepting the call to come to pastor here. But it all began two days after my bike accident when I was still in quite a bit of pain and I got a phone call at the end of the day from the doctor who'd initially checked my x-rays and at that point had said, no, they look all fine, you've just got bruising. But I was still pretty sore a couple of days later and she was phoning to tell me that the x-ray had been re-examined by a specialist who'd noticed what looked like a probable fracture in my pelvis. 
And she told me I must go immediately to Auckland Hospital Accident and Emergency for a CT scan to determine how bad it was. And there was a bit of urgency in her voice because I think as a doctor she knew that if it was, was bad there was actually uh, potential danger that could come um, due to the location of the, the, the potential fracture. So she'd already booked me in for a scan. I just had to check in at reception at A&E and I'd be taken through for my CT scan. But if only it was that easy. I mean, I'm sure lots of you have had your own experiences of going to A&E and what you think's not going to take very long at all. Just kind of there's another whole time zone that A&E operates on, isn't there? So a nurse put, a, put a, a hospital identity band on my wrist, as they do, and I was now an inpatient of Auckland Central Hospital. And then we began waiting for my name to be called out for the CT scan. Fortunately, Raywin was with me because... It was great to have you there. <laughs> so that was 8pm we went in. By 11pm we were still waiting and had no idea how much longer we had to go. And so Raywin went and politely asked the nurse if she could tell us how much longer it was likely to be. The nurse checked her computer and told us, well it all depends on the medical priority of the, the patients that are going to be coming in over the next little while. But all going well, you might have your CT scan in the next half hour or so but I'll see what I can do to, to perhaps speed things up a bit. And then she made a phone call, and next thing she was back with some good news, that a gap in the schedule had just opened up, and they would squeeze my scan in right then. And so I was immediately whizzed away in, my, in a wheelchair for my CT scan. Progress at last. We thought, yay, something's happened. We'll be out of here soon. And after the scan, I was wheeled back to the waiting room to wait for now the bone doctor to examine my scan. So more waiting. <laughs> Finally, at about 1am, my name was called out again and I was wheeled across the corridor into the bone doctor's examination room to find out the prognosis. The good news is you don't need surgery, and my heart lifted. The bad news is your pelvis is fractured in three places and you'll need to be on crutches for several weeks. My heart sank. <laughs> And I'd, I'd like, to stay, like you to stay in hospital overnight. I mean, we're already halfway through the night. But I'd like you to stay in hospital overnight so that the physio can see you in the morning because he'd noticed how unstable I was on crutches and he reckoned I needed a, a lesson on how to use my crutches so that I'd be safe when I went back home and was on crutches for the next several weeks. So after another wait for an X-ray of my leg, just to make sure that that wasn't broken too, which it wasn't, fortunately... Finally got into a hospital bed at 2.15am and then in the morning after a lesson from the physiotherapist on how to use my crutches properly, Raywin came and picked me up and I was released to go home. <laughs> so for me, and you might be able to relate to that, you, many of you will have had your own experiences of accidents and, and, and emergency and having to wait much longer than you ever thought you'd need to, but for me my accident and emergency hospital experience was an object lesson and status. And it went like this. Although I am a New Zealander, a father, a grandfather even, graduated to that status a couple of years ago, although I am a Baptist pastor, a homeowner, a university graduate, even a master of applied theology, whoa. yet while I was an inpatient of Auckland Central Hospital, my status that determined how soon I'd be examined was determined solely by the severity of my injury. Nothing else mattered. 
just the severity of my injury relative to the severity of others, that was all that counted. So status is the first part of the cross-shaped love formula that Jesus demonstrated to his disciples. But it works contrary to the usual formulas of how status and privilege work in our world. For example, just say after three hours of waiting to have my CT scan for a suspected fracture in my pelvis, just as right as my name was just being called out to go in for the CT scan, a famous movie star was wheeled into accident and emergency, also with a, a suspected broken pelvis. On seeing the movie star, the nurse quickly rechecks her computer and then looks back at me and says, I'm sorry, Mr. Kite, there's been a reprioritization of the waiting list and you'll need to go back into the waiting room. And as I'm wheeled back into the waiting room, the movie star is wheeled straight in for his CT scan. Now that's not what happened to me, thank goodness. Because in accident and emergency, your worldly status counts for nothing, or it's not supposed to anyway. Your status is determined solely by the severity of your injury. However, if the patient's celebrity status was also taken into account, like it often is in the world and other circumstances, then someone like me might have to wait in the A&E waiting room for a very, very long time because on celebrity status scale, I rank somewhere down the bottom. <laughs> Immediately before beginning the object lesson in cross-shaped love, John deliberately acknowledged Jesus' status as this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. It's pretty significant status, isn't it, to have those words said about you. In other words, Jesus' status is ranked right alongside God. And there's no higher status than God. It doesn't get any higher than this. While the disciples probably didn't understand that yet, they were still in a process of learning who Jesus really was, who his true identity was. Nevertheless, they acknowledged Jesus' status as their teacher and Lord with these words. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am, said Jesus later on in the passage. He knew that that's who they understood him to be, what his status was according to them. Which completes the first part of the cross-shaped love formula that he was about to demonstrate. The first part of the formula goes like this. Although Jesus held the divine status of Son of God, and his disciples called him Teacher and Lord. This was who Jesus' status was, both from a, a divine point of view and from a worldly point of view. Although, how would you complete the first part of the cross-shaped love formula. What determines your status in the world? What would you put in there as this X part of the formula? The, the, the things that, that um, determine your status in this world that we live in. I've already given you my status as a New Zealander, a Baptist pastor, a father, a grandfather, a homeowner, a university graduate, and even a Master of Applied Theology. These are some of the things that I would list to describe my, my worldly status. These are all titles that determine my status. But what about you? You'll have different markers of your status in the world. 
Now, when you came in, I hope, I hope you all got this, but as you came in today, you were supposed to get a little handout sheet and a pen if you didn't have a pen. And if you haven't got one, put your hand up and hopefully Julian will be able to sprint around and, and uh, give anybody that might have missed out on one. So there's a few of you that missed out. These are all the early people that missed out who were here nice and early. So, so you, you're allowed to put your hands up. <laughs> but yeah, keep your hand up and um, Julian will bring it around at the moment. But as, as they are given um, their little sheet of paper, what I'd like you to do is just in the, in a, we'll just pause just for a moment for 30 seconds or so. If you could write down all the things that determine your status, the markers of your status in this world. And just think of all those kinds of things I talked about, your status as a, as a mum, a dad, a, a parent, a, a student, your qualifications, the type of profession you're in, the job you do, um, whether you own a home or not, all, all these kinds of things that determine, even your nationality actually has a bearing on your status, really. It probably shouldn't do, but it tends to. Things that determine your status in the world. Great that Paul and Tania can put New Zealander as, as part of your status, eh? <laughs> now, don't, don't worry about writing this down. I'm not going to ask you to hand these back in. <laughs> this is just private, and I'm not going to get you to read them out. This is just between you. Uh, it's our, our own personal exercise. Okay, hopefully you've got that. You can keep writing away if, you, if you, you haven't finished yet. So although my status in the world is X, that's the first part of the cross-shaped love formula um, that Jesus was about to demonstrate to his disciples. But what Jesus did next showed that along with whatever status that you and I have in the world comes the responsibility for choosing how we use our status. We have choices here, don't we? So here comes the next part of this love formula, cross-shaped love formula. Jesus demonstrated the second part of the cross-shaped love formula to his disciples as he began his object lesson in cross-shaped love. Now Jesus could have stayed at the table, seated in the position of honour, which is where he would have been placed, enjoying his privileged status of teacher and lord, and being served food and drink by his disciples, which they, they probably would have been doing. Yet he chose to give up his privileged position at the table to do something else instead. And likewise, Jesus could have stayed in heaven, enjoying his privileged status and honour as the Son of God, equal with God, up there with God, highest status there is. Yet he chose to give up his heavenly position to become a human being instead. Contrast this with what we know about why Judas left the table later on that night. Although Jesus held the sorry, although Judas held the status of being a trusted disciple of Jesus, their treasurer even, yet he chose to use his worldly status to betray Jesus for personal gain, when he could have used his status for something else. This was the choice that Judas made with his status. So the second part of the cross-shaped love formula 
that Jesus began demonstrating to his disciples, it goes like this. Although I have worldly status X, that's the part you've just filled in before, yet I may choose to use my status either for personal gain Y or for something else instead. So back to my own personal object lesson and status from my overnight stay in Auckland Central Hospital A&E. Just say in the A&E waiting room that night, waiting for an overnight hospital bed, was a movie star with a broken pelvis like me. And then a woman who looked as if she was off the street with a badly broken leg comes in or gets wheeled in. However, there's only one bed left in A&E. The nurse naturally offers the bed, of course, to the movie star, hoping perhaps for a selfie as she gets to wheel the movie star into the last bed that's left in A&E. But in an act of self-giving love, the movie star says, no, please let this woman here have the bed instead of me. That would be an act of self-giving love, of cross-shaped love. So how do you, how do I, use our privileged status in the world today for personal gain or for something else? So here's where I want you to fill in the second part of that sheet you're given out this morning. If you could fill in that second question of the handout, how could you use your status for selfish gain? Like Judas did. Have a think about that for a little while and fill in what thoughts might come to mind. And again, don't worry, we're not going to read them out. We're not gonna, I'm not going to click them up. This is just between you and God, really. There's probably lots we could put down here. There's all sorts of ways we can use our status for, for selfish gain. But hopefully you've come up with a few examples. So now as unlikely as it might be for a movie star to give up his hospital bed for a woman off the street, nevertheless, it's an example of the object lesson Jesus gave his disciples on cross-shaped love with what he did next. Now it's easy, I think, to miss the full impact of what Jesus did next because things were so different back then from how it is here in New Zealand today. We really do have to use our imaginations and a bit of historical understanding of what life was like back then in Jerusalem. I mean, here in New Zealand, we drive just about everywhere. Who drove to church this morning? How many of you who didn't? Who walked or rode a bike? Hey, look at that. There's a few of you out there. Awesome. But most of us, me included, even though I liked riding to work, but on Sunday I don't usually have time, so it's the car to get me here. Um, we drive most places, don't we? Um, but whenever we do walk or ride, it's usually on concrete footpaths um, and with shoes on, don't we? With you know, nice shoes. We've all got nice shoes on, most of us, haven't we? So um, maybe, maybe there's a few here who haven't. But so back in Jesus' time, it was totally different to that. 
The roads of Israel were unsealed. They hadn't invented tarmac back then, I don't think. They were unsealed, they were dusty, they were dirty, and they were littered with feces from all of the pack animals that also used the roads. They were mucky places. And nor did they wear shoes and socks back then like we do today. If, the, if you were poor, you wore bare feet. If you could afford them, you wore sandals. Just imagine the muck and grime covering the disciples' feet. Whether they had sandals or not, their feet would have been filthy from the journeying that they had done over the past few days. You can see why, why foot washing was such a menial task that not even a Jewish servant was expected to do. Only a Gentile slave, the very lowest of the low in status, was given the task of washing people's feet. However, when foot washing was done, say by a wife for her husband, which they might do, or a child for a parent, or a pupil even for a teacher, like we saw Mary washing Jesus' feet with perfume last Sunday, in these circumstances, Foot washing was an act of extreme devotion. But no way, absolutely no way, would someone of higher status ever wash the feet of another of lower status. It was just a social no-no back then. How shocking it would have been when for the disciples, or for the disciples, when right in the middle of their evening meal together, Jesus gets up, he wraps a towel around his waist, And he pours water into a basin and begins washing and drying their feet as only a Gentile slave, the very lowest in status, would have done. Don't worry, I'm not going to actually wash anybody's feet this morning, just if you were getting a bit worried at this point. (laughs) But I am going to pour out some water into a basin of water. And we have a towel here probably very different to the towel Jesus would have wrapped around him, but a towel nevertheless. And I don't know whether he used soap or not. It didn't say that in the Gospel of John. But but soap too to represent the cleaning, the washing, the cleansing of his disciples' feet that Jesus did, this menial task that only a slave would have done. As Jesus worked his way around each of the disciples washing their feet, he came to Judas Judas was still with them in all of this. And Jesus already knew that Judas was going to betray him because John tells us so in the gospel. Yet despite knowing that, incredibly, Jesus still washes washes Judas's feet. It's kind of unthinkable, isn't it, when you think of what Jesus was doing, not just with his disciples, but also with Judas, when he knew what Judas was just about to do. We see the cross-shaped love formula in action right there. Although Jesus knew Judas would betray him, yet Jesus did not use his divine knowledge to restrict his actions towards him, but instead chose to wash Judas's feet. Incredible. And then it was Peter's turn to have his feet washed by Jesus. Peter understandably objects and tried stopping him. But alluding to the cross-shaped love he was demonstrating as he washed his, their feet, Jesus, Jesus replied, Yet you, he replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, 
but later you will. And Peter objected again, no, you shall never wash my feet. So Jesus made it even plainer as to how vital it was that he wash Peter's feet. Unless I wash you, you have no part of me, Jesus said to Peter. It was as clear as that. And there it is. The cross-shaped love formula in action again. Although Jesus held the status of Son of God, Teacher and Lord, yet he did not use his status for personal gain, but chose to serve others instead by dying on the cross so that all who follow him will not perish, but will have eternal life. This is the the cross-shaped love formula in action as Jesus was about to put it into action. Although he didn't really get it yet, Peter responded exuberantly, Then, Lord, don't just wash my feet, but wash my hands and my head and all of me, he cries excitedly. Eventually, after washing the last of his disciples' feet, Jesus returned to his place at the table. But his cross-shaped love lesson wasn't over yet. Looking at each of them, looking at each of us, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example to follow. Servants aren't greater than their master, nor messengers greater than the one who sent them. The responsibility of doing for one another what I have done for you is yours. Now it's your turn to start practicing cross-shaped love. And with Jesus' words still ringing in our ears as if we were there, as if he was saying them directly to us, let's fill in the, the third question on your handout sheet. How can I use my status to help others instead. And again, this is just between you and God. I'm not going to click them in, not going to get you to read them out. But if you'd like to, in the next few moments, write down a few things that come to mind of how you could use your position of status and privilege to help others instead. And again, there's probably quite a lot we could put down here, isn't there? But I hope you've been able to think of a few things, maybe things that the Holy Spirit has prompted you to write down that you would have opportunity to put into action as cross-shaped love. Here's a few examples of, of ways in which cross-shaped love can be put into practice using this love, cross-shaped love formula. Although I am blessed to live in a country that is relatively safe and free from religious persecution, which is what we all live in here in New Zealand, yet I will not take my safety and religious freedom for granted, 
but will use it to help and pray for those who are prohibited from worshipping Jesus as Lord. That would be an example of cross-shaped love as we give up some time, maybe some, some money even, to help those who do not have the privilege of being able to worship Jesus freely like we do here. Here's another one. Although I am fortunate to have a house to live in and an income to live on, yet I will not use my good fortune solely for personal gain, but will use it to help others who don't have a house to live in or an income to live on. That's another example of cross-shaped love. All of these examples aren't necessarily very easy to put into practice, are they? And here's a third one. Although someone may hurt or betray me, yet I will not choose to use my status to get back at them, but will, but will choose to serve them instead. Again, tough to do, isn't it? When somebody's really hurt us badly, and we might be in a position to use our privilege or our status to get back at them, but we choose not to do that, but to serve them instead like Jesus did for Judas. Jesus wrapped up his object lesson in cross-shaped love with these famous words, and many of you will know these words off by heart, but let me read them to you. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And the love he's talking about there is this cross-shaped love put into action by the cross-shaped love formula that we've just looked at. So how do we love one another as Jesus loved us? By practicing the cross-shaped love formula. You've already filled in the X, Y, and Z of this formula. Although I have worldly status X, whatever it is you put in there to fill that out, Yet I will not use my status for personal gain. Why? Again, whatever you've filled in there. But for serving others by doing Z instead. Those things that you identified that you could use your privilege and status to help others with. And with the help of Jesus' object lesson in cross-shaped love, his washing of the disciples' feet like only a slave would do, and the power of the Holy Spirit, because we need the Holy Spirit's power to, to put the cross-shaped love formula into action, because it's not an easy formula to put into practice. May we put Jesus' cross-shaped love formula into practice every day. Let me pray. Son of God, teacher and Lord, you are the one who washes our feet and who went to the cross to wash our sins away. Help us to become more self-aware of how we use our worldly status either for personal gain or in service of others. Continually remind us of your object lesson in cross-shaped love. Enable us by the power of your spirit to put your cross-shaped love lesson into practice by choosing not to use our worldly status for personal gain but for serving those who are in need of our help.
in our church, in our neighbourhood, in our workplace, in our families, in our school. This we pray in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.